curse God and die. There is a carnal temptation to put ourselves in the position of rendering good and evil in this world, and moving towards death without any regard for matters of eternal value. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and it is produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Allegrito. In serious conversation today, we're going to move through scripture and time to exa examine how evil is tricky in getting us to give up and give in to the basic temptation of rejecting God and living life without eternal meaning. But first, we're going to spend some time looking at our culture in a light conversation that we call unholiness today. Yes, and first up, as we go to this conversation of unholiness today, we want to really examine how so many times our world does want people to simply curse God and die, but people often are not self-aware when they do this. Sometimes it takes the form of cursing other things, such as cursing one's parents. In our first story today, we have a 23-year-old French man who really did not want to see his parents. And so the man faked a bomb threat to the airline EasyJet to keep the plane from landing and allowing his parents from visiting. Now, the flight carrying his parents had to turn around mid-flight because of this fake bomb threat. Now, when police did locate this 23-year-old man, they arrested him, and he is now facing up to five years in prison, thus solidifying the fact that he may not see his parents for a while. And in the accurate words of SpongeBob, this is not your average, everyday stupid. This is advanced stupid. <laughs> and then I have to ask you, to put this in the language of eternal value, is this an example of your average depravity or is this advanced depravity? <laughs> I, I think this definitely moves into the kind of advanced. Um, I, I know that I know of several young people um, who do not wish to spend time with their parents. Um, but there, there's a lot of a lot better ways, obviously, of dealing with this um, in, in trying to reach any kind of resolution that this young man may have had with his parents. But to call in a bomb threat, it, it's not only, it's not a hoax, it's not a joke. It's exceedingly dangerous. Um, he, I mean, it, he's going to serve up to five years in prison, so you know this is not just something to kind of sneeze at or laugh at. I, I mean, he, he put a lot of people's lives in danger. He put his own life in danger. Um, and it, it scares people, and it does a, it has such wide-reaching effects when, when you call in something this significant. Um, so, yeah, this is this is not just depravity. This is <laughs> this is extremely advanced. Um just I just can't imagine being so selfish that I was willing to put other lives in danger uh, just so I, I could avoid an awkward conversation or an awkward situation. Yeah, and again, we do like to compare this to things which happen in Scripture in our segment of unholiness today. Back, if we go back to the story of Samson, back in Judges chapter 14, it opens up with Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines and then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go and get her for me as a wife. You hear him demanding that his parents bring him a wife. And then Samson's parents actually give in to this, which is um, kind of interesting in and of itself. There's a whole conversation to be had about that. But you have to wonder, what was the relationship with this guy's parents and him? Did he make a request similar to Samson, demanding them to give something to him, and they didn't? And then when they wanted to come visit him, he says, no, I don't want to see you because you didn't give me what I want. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it could be something as, as kind of small as he was probably not parented appropriately, or it could be something as big as that they were abusive. But again, there, there's just about 100 better ways to handle that situation. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, moving along, there are many people who continue to celebrate Christmas long into January. 
And now we deal with the situation, leaving one woman contemplating whether she has a Christmas curse or a call for prayer. Next in Unholiness Today, we have a Virginia woman who appears to be a veterinarian, and she received an unexpected January Christmas gift from nature. Now, her Christmas tree that she had bought back in preparing for the Christmas season back in the, the time of Advent back a few months ago, she bought it and it had a sack of eggs. And she wasn't aware of this, but when she brought the tree into her home, these eggs hatched, and she now has more than 100 praying mantises, or praying manti. There's a lot of confusion <laughs> on what the plural for that is. The lady was unaware of the egg sack, and now they have exploded all over her house. According to People.com, she is currently collecting all the praying mantis and putting them in a shoebox. Now, instead of doing what we might expect one would do with this, she's actually feeding them fruit flies to keep them alive. And the lady, she describes them in her home. She says there are bugs crawling on the walls, crawling on the ceilings, just a kind of moving everywhere. You would imagine the scene to look like something in a horror movie like The Exorcist, but evidently it's just what this lady deals with now. And she doesn't like to think about them in the bedroom or bathroom, but her ultimate goal is to find them new homes, hoping that people will take them in. We actually have a few images here, if Anthony could pull those up for you. Yes, I've already pulled up the one with the, and since I'm of this school of thought, mantises, <laughs> the many mantises, and it is pretty disgusting. Mantises does make one sound like they know what they're talking about here. <laughs> but speaking of this word, let's actually get into the etymology of this entomological <laughs> um, topic. So entomology is the study of, of bugs, and then etymology is the study of, of words. And the, the word mantis it's, it comes from a Greek word, and in the New Testament, this Greek word, it is translated as insane. So basically, we've got this crazy bug going around the house, and it appears to be praying. It's in P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, because they are predators, and it appears that their cannibalistic nature is not just to eat one another alive, but also to eat up this lady's property value. <laughs> They're eating more than fruit flies for this lady. Um, in Acts chapter 26, verse 24, there's a point where Festus, he's interpreting Paul's defense, and he makes the, the statement where he says, You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, you are, Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, of course, they're trying to direct Paul. His, they're saying is his learning, his history, everything that's brought him to this moment. It's making him insane. He's not able to be rational. For this lady and all of her fancy veterinarian learning, they have drove her insane. Amanda, is this totally depraved, or is there a sanctifying message here? Um, yeah, I'm not sure what's going through this lady's mind. I, I definitely would lean towards her being rather crazy. Um, and, I, and I think um, in the connection with our, our Bible passage, there, there are things worth going crazy over. Um, Paul, in one of his epistles, will even talk about that the message of Christ crucified is foolishness. Um, and so there, there's definitely, I think, uh, great things to, to, to proclaim the gospel message. And to say, you know, and people will call you insane. They'll call you crazy mantis. Um, but I don't think keeping praying mantis is worth going crazy over. Um, yeah, I think the sane option in this would be to, um, like, tent her house and, and call it a day. I I would be tempted to move even. I just don't think you ever get away from uh, creepy crawling, like almost like a force of nature of, of insects um, on your walls and ceilings. I just don't know if you could ever, like, be feel safe in your home after that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think she's kind of lost a little bit. I mean, like power to her, she do, you know, 
you do you, but uh, that that's insane. So I'm, I just don't even know what to say about that other than that. Yes. Well, people may not feel like they can escape from the praying mantises, but a lot of times people, they want to escape from the, the ever-growing political discourse in this world. It infects everywhere. People want to escape. And that is what we're trying to do here at Kingdom of the Logos. We want to give you Christian content that's lighthearted and fun, like Unholiness Today, and then also have serious biblical discussions where we actually get into some serious biblical content and we give people deep theological thought. And in order for us to, to be doing this, we really do need people to, to help us out. And there's a lot of ways that you can do this. Just grabbing a link to our content, sharing it with your friends, sending us your own questions and comments, giving us things that puts us in touch with what a lot of people are thinking, That those are all very good things. One of the things that we are needing right now is our, our computer is actually getting to the point where it's kind of on its last leg. It's had several solid state drive changes and all sorts of stuff like that. It's graphic card is having a lot of issues. Um, and if you'd like to help us, please support us in that way if you can. Um, one can go to patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos and support us in that way. And again, you don't have to give anything. This is a free program. We're just wanting to, to reach out to people and have fun um, spreading the gospel in the world around us. And with that being said, we'll be back to have a serious conversation about the concept of curse God and die. So stay with us. All right, in a serious conversation, we're going to have a discussion about the idea of curse God and die. People have been contemplating the meaning of life throughout human history. Furthermore, people, they really have a hard time with this. Once creation fell into sin, there has been a natural inclination for people to curse God and die. And in the church, we find meaning in overcoming this natural proclivity to reject God and put ourselves in the place of arbitrating what is good and bad and just living out life until we, we fall into a death without any meaning. So we in the church, we realize that there is great meaning in fighting back the carnal natures, fighting back the, the fallenness of creation. Now, in our world, people really do live in this idea that says, just curse God and die. That's kind of the natural state of humanity. And the more I've been researching scripture, the more I've been watching the world around us, I realize this is one of the deep-rooted callings we have in the people of God is to fight that. Now, naturally, a lot of times people aren't aware of this simple, basic, natural notion to just curse God and die. Because it's not compelling to come up to people and say, hey, why don't you reject God here right now? And snap your fingers and sort of slap someone around and make them say that. That usually doesn't win people over to that argument. But instead, evil is very tricky. It sends subtle messages and it tries to convince people to reject God in ways that don't always appear as if they are rejecting God. A lot of times we see evil coming along and doing things like saying, hey, make the sacrifice, have pity on your, your son, have pity on your family members, when the result of doing that means you're making the, the emperor in Rome the new God. And we'll, we'll get to all that here in a moment. One of the reasons why I wanted us to have this conversation is recently I watched the film The Shack. And I know a lot of people have read that book. Many have watched the film. Now, the film does present us with some good ideas to talk about it. It has a few shortcomings. It doesn't necessarily take things to the logical conclusion it needs to to help people find the meaning in life that is, is necessary. But there is a great scene in this film where the main character, he mis mistakes Jesus for the man who kidnapped and murdered his daughter. Naturally, this is a really interesting concept, and it tells you a lot about the movie as a whole. Because the main character, his daughter was kidnapped and murdered, and he thinks that God is responsible for this. 
and the main character, he's got a gun, he goes out in the woods, he goes to the shack where his daughter was killed, and he's preparing to commit suicide. He hears someone ruffling in the, the snow outside, he goes outside, he thinks it's the man who killed his daughter, and he gets prepared to kill him, and then he finds out that it's Jesus. This truly is the carnal urge, wrapped up in a, a single scene. The urge we have is to, to put all the blame of the suffering of creation on God and just live the rest of our lives without any meaning at all whatsoever, just to curse God and die. But this temptation, it's also very elusive. It doesn't really help us to, to explain the world when we just blame everything on God. It doesn't take us to a, a place where we find any purpose at all. It just tears us down and throws us in the pit and takes us back to the void before creation had any purpose. God does not want us to live a life this way, and he wants us to find meaning when we resist this basic desire. So just to present to you how basic this desire is, I have some propositions that Anthony is going to read to us, and then we here at Kingdom of the Logos, we're going to respond to that, and we have a, a guest, uh, Mike Proctor, is going to, to be here with us as well. Proposition number one. In Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent does not directly tell them to curse God and die, but he is trying to get them to remove God from his place at the center of their moral compass, and the consequences of their action is death. Amanda, what are your thoughts on hearing this scripture. I, I think there's a couple interesting things going uh, on in this, even this short little passage that we have. We do have the serpent character, and, and later on in church history and the people of God, the serpent will be more tied closely with the character of Lucifer um, in, or Satan, and, and but really kind of in its original context and telling and retelling of the story, it, it's really just simply saying that there was a creature that was very crafty. Um, and, and what the serpent kind of acts like in this story is really a, a mirror who comes up to Eve, comes up to humanity. Um, Adam is along beside her, even though the inter first initial interaction is between the serpent and, and Eve. And, and it's, it's basically saying, you know, you God has created a whole environment for you where all your needs are provided for, where you have life and have it abundantly. And, and God comes and walks with you in the cool of the evening. But is God actually faithful to provide for you and did he actually say that you couldn't do this it's kind of the the phrasing he uses to say really think about it are you sure that you as a human can't be that source of of, of judgment of deciding what's good and bad and so this temptation comes in and, and it's, it's it's really interesting because then a little you know you read on in that section eve kind of she says, well, you know, actually God said we couldn't even look at it. So you can tell already that humanity is struggling exactly with this idea of can they trust God or can they, and when we say curse God, it, it's not just simply saying like a three-letter or four-letter word, but it, it's saying can you deny God as the author and perfecter of life and somehow in of yourselves um, provide? And of course we know the natural conclusion of the story is the answer is no, um, that um, they do die and they, and but even in, and so it, it just, it's really interesting how this story just sets up uh, the sin nature and, and explains to us what it is, what sin is and what the sin nature is. It is this is bent towards selfishness and a delusion of what kind of power we have. All right, Pastor Mike, what do you think about this idea? Amanda presents that not always throughout the history of the people of God has this character been 
portrayed as being the same thing as Satan or Lucifer or the devil, the diabolical one. But it said this serpent is more of a crafty creature. Does that change the meaning of this story at all? What do you think about that? I don't think it changes the meaning at all. I think it really, it, the, the um, let me say, the craftiness, the slyness, sneakiness is not just stow straight out and say, hey, worship me rather than God, but it is really saying just don't trust God to be your provider. And that is the huge problem that that presents that problem. That's the slippery slope, so to speak, to falling out of um, the right relation with God. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think within the church, there is a lot of confusion on whether or not this is Satan. And out of that confusion, people are confused about how much responsibility do they have in their own sin? How much responsibility do they put on God? How much can you turn yourself into an idol if you don't realize who the true source of good and evil is? And again, whatever your metric for good is, your metric for moral good, that is your God. End of story. Anthony, what do we have as proposition number two? In the book of Job, starting in chapter 1, verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, a, blame, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? That Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, have increased in the land. But you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. In chapter 2, the accuser, Satan, once again tells God that Job will curse him if he will just take away Job's comfort. And of course, later in the book of Job, there is the famous line where Job's wife brazenly tells him to curse God and die. All right, again, we see evil deliberately saying curse God and die, though Job, in the beginning of the story, he doesn't hear that per se in a direct sense, but still there's this notion that if you can just confuse somebody about where good and evil are sourced, and you can confuse them about what is truly good, you can confuse them about the suffering of the world, you can easily manipulate them into something quite sinister. Amanda, what do you think about this whole deal here with the accuser? Yeah, and I think, like you said, it is really confusing, and, and that's kind of really the point of, of, of the accuser, Satan, talking to God about it. It's like, you know, um, oftentimes kind of to boil down down things, we talk about God being a God of blessing, blessing being life-giving, um, and cursing being life-taking. And, and so the accuser kind of comes up to God and says, well, the only reason Job is righteous is because you are life-giving. Um, but if he were to experience hardship, then he would deny it. And, and there is this kind of bait and switch that's going on with the accuser as he's, he, you know, and even Job is wrestling with it. He's getting very bad counsel from his friends and from his wife about, well, then you must have done something to deserve this because obviously God is a God of blessing, so he wouldn't curse you. And just some bad theology is just really sewn into the fabric of these conversations and, and even um, Job himself is starting to question and argue with God. Like, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. And, and, and God of course just responds very theatrically and says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? And that's kind of really all of God's responses is like, who are you to question me? But ultimately then God's response is um, that he still is a God of blessing, even in the midst of grief, but grief, but 
it's interesting the accuser satan is just trying to confuse him because you know like you said if 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 satan had just kind of you know appeared um before job and said curse god and die then job would have been like nope i'm good um and that would have been the end of the story been a very short book um but instead by doing this very crafty this weird and confusing way and i think that's how temptation comes to us it just it doesn't always look like we think it is and we're, we just spend all this time trying to fight within ourselves and fight god and and there is and then occasionally it is kind of blatant like job's wife but um i don't know there's just madness going on here and i think satan the accuser um the crafty one the diabolical one's really good at that yeah and this is where we find meaning god does not want us to give into the suffering fighting back the urge to curse god and die which that doesn't mean that we will have life on this earth. The eternal life we have is beyond the parameters of this earth. A lot of times for the people in the kingdom of God, they do meet an unpleasant end in this earth. But yet there is meaning in pushing back this carnal nature and giving in to just things which have no value. What do you see here within both the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent and also in Job, this temptation to give in to the suffering, but yet, especially with Adam and Eve, there's a whole new vocation for them. Now that they're out of the garden, everything is restructured. They've got to fight to push that back. And then also here with Job, he's got to fight to push back the bad theology of his friends and even his wife who just say, give into it, just wallow in it. How do, how do we help people find meaning in truly fighting back the suffering of life? I think for, for one, there's a couple things going on here. First, God gets blamed for a lot of things that God does not do. And I think that is one of the uh, temptations that the the enemy Satan tries to uh, present. And of course, Apostle Paul says, you know, that we our enemy is not uh, flesh and blood, but actually principalities. And the the spiritual warfare that goes on uh, around us is often working through flesh and blood of people. That doesn't mean that Job's wife is his enemy. No, but she too has fallen into uh, this sly cleverness of Satan to use her to try to bring uh, Job even down and curse God and die. And so uh, I think there's the, the true part of this is the devil, the Satan, uh, sowed chaos and discourse um, in a terrible way, whereas the God of life gives blessing, and we should never blame God for things he doesn't do. And I think one of the things that we see in the book of Job is, you know, bad things happen to good people. Don't always blame God for that. And Satan, again, tries to get God to do it over and over again. But it's God saying, I will allow you to do it because the faithfulness of my servant Job. So uh, I think, if anything, the book of Job can be very encouraging to see Job um, go through all of these things, even when flesh and blood comes through his friends to, to try to uh, mislead him with bad theology and everything else, and uh, e even his wife. Yeah, and, and evil really is quite tricky because it in our modern world today, there is always things that want us to move away from having God as our moral center. So there are people who say, well, just embrace who you want to be. Just em embrace your, your own personal story and fine-tune that and never work on building your character to be, you know, a, a better person. I always find it interesting. We always have these personality tests and things that they throw out. And I've met so many people who use that to justify the bad things about their character instead of using that as a, a pointer on how to move better. And But 
That really is our carnal nature is to say, ah, I don't need to look to God for, for any sort of metric. I don't need to be Christ-like. I'll just be who I want to be and I'll live life as I want to live, ultimately ending with a, a death without meaning. Um, Anthony, what is proposition number three? In the prison diary of Perpetua, an ancient Christian text detailing the life of a young woman in the moments of her martyrdom, her father appeals to her, saying, Make the sacrifice. Have pity on your child. Her father is one of the few people capable of compelling her to move away from her faith, and his argument is hidden by the virtue of loving one's child. All right, so just to add a little context to this, in ancient Rome, they would take Christians to basically court and they would have a few little ingredients up there, you know, light the incense and have the small sacrifice and you're free to go. But in doing that, people are making the statement that the gods of Rome are God in their life. That's where you get your moral judgment from. That's who you look to for guidance. And of course, in doing that, you're rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting their faith. People often are not sold on outright the call to paganism. That's just generally how it is. People aren't outright sold on doing things which are explicitly evil. Most of the time, evil hides behind virtues. It knows enough virtue to get people to give up their moral certainty. With Perpetua, she had moral certainty in her faith. Her father comes in and makes this very emotional argument saying, have pity on your child. He is using an emotional argument to get her away from moral certainty, and it's masked in one of the most compelling things you could ever imagine. And we see this happening even into our world today. Amanda, Talk to me a little bit and give me some feedback on this thought that evil, it sometimes it does know enough morality to use that against people, and it hides behind things which are just impossible to say no to. Well, and, and I think especially, I mean, not just the virtue, but the virtue of love. Like, that's the, you know, often often in Christian circles, love is kind of the ultimate virtue, you know, and and, and we, we, we sing songs about it. We recite First um, Corinthians chapter 13. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, you know, and all the rest. But love is the emphasis. And so, and especially to talk to a mother of a child and be like, you know, the greatest virtue that the, a, a mother could have is taking care of her children. The greatest virtue any parent can have is, is to take care of their children. And, and to use, so, I mean, it just, there's something so compelling about this argument that even I think a very strong Christian, and I do wonder how um, Perpetua for a moment in her brain was thinking, well, wait, what, you know, cause I, I'm not a parent. I, I can't even begin to imagine having to sacrifice something like that. But there is, um, I think for many of us, we're, we're very willing to sacrifice ourselves for the, the cause of the gospel. I, I have no second guessing about that. What I, I would be willing, uh, that I would be willing to give up my life but to think I would have to give up someone else's life, I would have to give up uh, the life of, of a child or of my husband or, or, or a good friend or family members, that, that takes a second to yeah. like actually process and be like, what, what exactly am I being called to do as, a, as someone who follows Christ? And, and so this is, I, I think, again, Satan is a lot smarter than we give him credit for. But I think even in all that... We have, there, there's a different goal in mind, right? There's more than a goal of us trying to preserve life, whether it is our own or others, but it is surrendering it to a God of life, um, the God of life, who will ultimately bring about that, even in the midst of our deaths or other people's deaths, that there's still life and life abundantly happening. And to, to give some more context to what goes on in the story, and then I'll, I'll let you respond to this a little bit. Perpetua, she is being taken to the amphitheater, 
effectively to be a gladiator against animals, where where she'll die. And when her father has this statement, have pity on your child, he's implying your child is going to die without you. You don't want to die and leave your child behind. However, in the story, and it's a historical document, we, we actually have pretty good verification on this. A lot of martyrdom stories are, are really vague and we don't have a lot of details. We have an awesome outline and perpetuous diary of all of these events. She goes to the amphitheater and she has this courageous moment. She goes over to the crowd. She's got this rabid heifer that's out. It's already killed one of the other young ladies. It's trampled her to the ground. And she goes over to the crowd and she says, when have you give me a hair pin because I want to hold my hair up and have it be tidy because I'm going to look good in my moment of triumph. And she does that, and when the the pagans who are there, the angry mob that's just cheering and it wants to see her die for her faith, when they see her tenacity, they see her character, they see her integrity in those final moments of her life, so many of them are moved that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even the, the head guard of the prison comes to know Jesus in the midst of this. People were coming to the church in droves. Her ministry didn't look like somebody singing a song on Sunday or even standing behind the pulpit preaching a sermon, but it instead looked like someone in an amphitheater fighting a rabid heifer and asking for a hairpin that they might look good when it all goes down because they are not surrendering their faith to anything. And there was great meaning in that. And it led so many people to the church and her diary was one of the most powerful early evangelical tools in the church. Dad, where do you take this? Give me some response to all this. There is a saying, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. And so I think even, uh, you can take that either way you want to go, but for her, she, by the grace of God, was able to be rem- to remain faithful. And we've always heard, you know, that uh, the, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. In this case, her ability... Um, to, do, to remain faithful, just as you said, it was excessive to spiritual sons and daughters who were probably Absolutely. just born out of that uh, by the witness there and, and her testimony, which is a testimony in that time that's with words or not words um, that I remain faithful even in the face of death because this is not the end but rather the beginning. Alrighty, and that's where we're going to wrap up our conversation. In the church, we do have this great meaning in fighting back the carnal desire that just says, let let your own person, let you, the one who in your own thoughts and minds say, me. Don't let me be the one who designs what is good and bad in the world. Instead, look to God's design and what God has called us to be. And yes, in the church, there is the initial salvation one has, and then we move towards sanctification. There is a growth and there is grace which comes into our life. And we find so much meaning when we push back this urge of the world to just give in to all the suffering, just live a life of pity, and ultimately die without meaning. In the church, we are called to reject that, and there's great meaning we find when we push back on it. So again, in wrapping this up, please do support us by sharing our content. Like our videos, follow us on Facebook. We're on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, and a lot of other podcasting things. You can download our podcast for free. If you would like to help us out financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. And again, where a lot of that stuff is going to be going right now is towards a new computer because we really need a new computer with a good graphics card. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.